Welcome to a special edition of Monday in Manhattan. To celebrate Black History Month, the city's Diversity and Inclusion Committee sponsored a brown bag lunch and learn with Coach Dave Baker, director of the Douglas Center, who talked with employees about the past, present, and future of Manhattan and the Douglas Center. Coach Baker also spoke about the importance of remembering history and of building a sense of community. The Lunch and Learn was held on Thursday, February 27th at the Flint Hills Discovery Center. The new addition to the Douglas Center, the Douglas Recreation Center, will break ground on March 4th and is expected to be open to the public by the end of 2020. I hope you enjoy Coach Baker's presentation. can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> I hope, I hope you have a good lunch because that lunch might taste better than what I'm going to say. <laughs> no. First of all, I have a passion for history. I have a passion for Douglas Center and school, and I have a passion for helping others. That's what we do in recreation. We do that every day, and uh, I enjoy doing it. Uh, I hope you all didn't get paid to come hear me speak. But I'm gonna make it good. So if you did, you got your, you get your money's worth. Okay. Um, first thing I'd like to say is identifying uh, people of color. Uh, this is something that's happened in in my lifetime that probably uh, doesn't happen to to other ethnic uh, uh, groups. Uh, when I talk about black people, when I was a young boy, first of all, we were colored people, and that's when I was probably um, five to 15 or 20, 15 years old, we were colored people. After colored people, we became Negroes. If you remember when Martin Luther King gave his speech um, uh, in Washington, he spoke, he spoke about Negroes. And then after that, uh, after he was assassinated, uh, there was racial unrest in our country. And uh, we became black Americans and, uh, because there, there, there was racial strife at that time. And then today, we are identified as African-American or black. And I don't know of any other ethnic group that's been, uh, has had that many different uh, words of, of identification in this country. When we talk about Native Americans, we talk about Native Americans. When we speak about Caucasians, we speak about Caucasians. But uh, people of color have gone through a number of words to identify them as we do today. And the big word today is also people of color. People of color is what we use today when we talk about Hispanics. We talk about all ethnic groups that are now different colors other than Caucasian. So uh, things have really changed in my lifetime. Uh, and there's one thing we, we talk about history. History is important in our lives. And when history goes away, it doesn't come back. So one of the things that I've really felt very strong and passionate about here at the Douglas Center is preserving the history of Douglas Center, Douglas School, and that part of town because once it's gone, it's gone. Um, when I talk about these things, I like to get, especially here in Manhattan, this is about the third or fourth time that I've had the opportunity to do this, and uh, one of the things that I like to do is, is find out who or how many people are, are from Manhattan. And what I say, a Manhattanite, we call them a Manhattanite, so um, since everybody in here is living here in Manhattan right now, you are a Manhattanite. But there are three kinds of Manhattanites, and I'll just ask you to raise your hand uh, as I describe what, what uh, the three, three different kinds. 
The first one is someone who was born here, has lived here all their life, and has never left. Is there anybody here that can attest to that? Born in Manhattan, Kansas, lived here all your life, and never left. Don't have any of those, but there are a lot of people in Manhattan that were born and raised here and have never left. Number two is the people that were born here, left Manhattan, went away, and came back. How many of those are there? My goodness. I left Manhattan in 1984 and I came back in 2011, so I was gone for 28 years. And the third type of Manhattan night is the person that was came to Manhattan, settled down here, and stayed here. That better be everybody else in here. Okay. Um, this is a good place to live. Everybody knows this. Manhattan is a good place to live. And like I said, sometimes we don't recognize uh, the importance of history until we've lived long enough to experience it. And uh, I can actually say that because I was born here and I came back and I've seen these changes. Um, I want to talk about, uh, there's another question, a couple other questions. City Hall. Where was City Hall prior to where City Hall is located today? Where was it? Where was it? If you, if you raise your, if, if, if you know, no, you're not, it's not fair. <laughs> okay. Uh, other than the mayor, other than the manager, where was, where was City Hall prior to where it is located today? Does anybody here know? Somewhere down. It was, it was somewhere. Nobody knows. That's history. That's history. I asked this question about uh, two weeks ago. I was, had this conversation. I knew it was downtown, but I couldn't remember where. Ron, where was it? Well, it was close to Third and Points. You're right. It was Third and Humble. If you were the uh, community house is right now, it was one block east of that. That was a police station, the, house, the uh, city hall, uh, right behind the building that's there on the corner, on the alley. That's where city hall used to be. So here we go. History is gone, and nobody knew where it was at. Nobody knew. That's how important history is. Um, Yuma Street, we're going to talk about Yuma Street a little bit, Douglas Center and, uh, and the Douglas School Annex. And before I forget, I better say this now, next Wednesday, 4 o'clock, there's going to be a groundbreaking ceremony at the Douglas Center Park for the new facility. So I better get that in now before I forget it. Um, Yuma Street, I think that's a little loud. Can I get this turned down a little bit? I guess this one. Yeah. Is that better? Okay, there we go. Okay. Yuma Street, uh, when I grew up here, was the main street of, of uh, the black community. And um, from 14th Street all the way down here to the Hilton Hotel, that was our street. And when I say main street, most black people lived on Yuma Street, both sides of the street. I still own my house at 1231 Yuma, which is Manhattan Avenue, but from there all the way down to the Hilton Hotel and going south, we call, that was the south quarter of town, 
and that was all African-American as I, when I grew up here. And as I look back at it today, you know, Manhattan really was segregated back in those days. And um, we didn't think about it, but that's the way it was. And we did not live past Colorado. There's a few, maybe two or three families that lived on Colorado, but for the most part, we did not live past Colorado. So the whole south quarter of Manhattan, Kansas was African-American. Pottawatomie Street, the uh, Rock Island Railroad track, the Union Pacific track, which is still there today. This whole south quarter of town was African-American. It's gone. It is, it's gone. When I drive down Fort Raleigh Boulevard today, I see myself point down that railroad track because we played on that railroad track many, many times. I was sharing with someone today, we used to get the old uh, carnation milk cans and put them on the track. And of course, if you've ever played on a railroad track, those rocks are just perfect to throw. And we used to sit those cans on the track and we would try to knock those uh, cans off the track. But that's the way it was back then. And I remember very distinctly, the Rock Island Railroad was the was a freight line. And that freight train would come in in the morning and sometimes it would, it would block from all the way from 15th Street all the way down here. And you couldn't get over on the other side. And if you were on the other side, you couldn't get to this side. And finally, I do remember that there was a big uh, concern in the city, got with the railroad and they fixed it. So they had to at least leave two of the openings open where you could get from one side to the other. But that's the way it was back in those days. And, uh, but that whole South side was African-American. As you know today, that is gone. There's Howie's uh, Trash, there's uh, the Cement Company. Everything is gone from what used to be. The other thing that happened on Yuma Street that was very interesting to me is, is as I've come back, from 10th Street to 14th Street, that street used to be, Yuma used to be uh, asphalt or, or tarred. It was, there was no curbs. When I grew up here, there were no curbs on Yuma Street from, from 10th Street to 14th Street. And I always wonder why. And none of the streets even on Pottawatomie were, were, were paved. And, uh, but we didn't think about it back then, at least I didn't. And so I didn't find out here until just recently that in 1967 or 68, that Yuma Street was paved the rest of the way. But back when I was young, in the summertime, they would grade Yuma Street, they would plow it up, pack it, water it, and then roll it. And then they would put the, the tar on it, and it would sit for two or three days. And then, then they would come back with the sand truck and then and, and put sand on it and roll it and pack it. And that was the asphalt. But we had no curves. Well, I didn't know, and I remember my mom used to get on me all the time, because if you ever got that tar on your feet, you know how hard tar is to get off. And, uh, but I didn't find out till here, 1960, I think it was 1967, that the rest of Yuma Street was paved from, from, uh, for, from 14th Street all the way down. And in 1967, I think they, they paid, they, wide, they widened it. So, but back then we didn't think about that because that's just the way it was. And so, uh, but that was an interesting thing that I've recognized when I'm coming back to Manhattan. So there's just been many things that, that have happened here. Uh, history note. In 1968, when Martin Luther King came here, and uh, he spoke to uh, 7,000 students at K-State. Uh, if you did not know that, he wanted to know where his people were. So they walked him from 17th Street all the way down Yuma Street on going east. 
Of course, like I said, we lived on both sides of the street at that time. And so there were, that, was his, that was when he saw you know, where the black people lived in Manhattan, Kansas. Of course, at that time, that was the last speech that Martin Luther King gave before he was assassinated in 1968. One of the other things that's really important about that area is there was a gentleman here named George Giles. Mr. Giles was a, uh, played baseball for the, in the uh, Old Negro Baseball League. And uh, when I was a kid, Griffith Field, our beautiful Griffith Field that is now gone, but uh, from a baseball field, but that used to be a very, 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 uh, one of the old great baseball stadiums. Junction City still has theirs, Rayford Stadium, and uh, it's used today for our college, for college baseball in the summertime. But Old Griffith Field used to be the place to be in the summertime in Manhattan, Kansas. There was a baseball team here in the town, in this town. My dad played on this team. Uh, I was a bat boy for this team, and they played all the surrounding towns that came because why did they come to Manhattan? Manhattan was the only one that had a baseball field, and the old Griffith Field was just a it was just a grand old ballpark. And so, uh, but that, of course, it's it's still a, a, a recreational facility today, but not the ballpark that it was back then. And Mr. Giles, he he had a hotel which was just uh, located there on 9th and 9th and just across the, the track from Fort Ride Boulevard and uh, he had a hotel there which a lot of dignitaries stayed there. He also had, he lived at uh, uh, right two houses down from the Douglas Center and back then before he built the hotel this is where dignitaries were able to stay, black dignitaries that came to Manhattan because they were not allowed to stay at the Wareham Hotel. And so Mr. Jow's housed several dignitary people there, Jackie Robinson, uh, Joe Lewis. They were both stationed at Fort Raleigh, and they came to, Man <clears throat> they came to Manhattan to visit and also patron the, the Douglas Center. So we had some very important people that, that came to this, uh, uh, to our community back then. Um, Douglas School was built in 1903. And it was built then because there was a need for a school for black children at that time. So that school was built in 1903. Um, it housed grades one through one through six. I attended Douglas School, and I was just sharing with someone today. I really truly believe, had I not gone to that school, that I would not be standing here today. Uh, that was the education that I got there. Uh, our, we had we had black teachers. Matter of fact. My third and third and uh, second and third grade teacher was Misty Gray, and my fourth and fifth grade teacher was Miss 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 Spearman, uh, and those two ladies were the sisters of Earl Woods, and Earl Woods lived at 1015 Yuma. A lot of people don't know that, but the house is still there. Uh, he lived at 1015 Yuma, and uh, but those two people were my grade school teachers at Douglas School. Um, Earl Woods played baseball at K-State. He was the first black baseball player that played baseball at K-State in the Big Seven back then. And uh, we went to the baseball, when I was in grade school, we went to the great ball field every, every day. After school, we went, because that's where K-State played their baseball games before the current baseball field that we have now. And uh, we, of course, we chased the foul balls. We got all the wooden bats, broken bats and everything. But one of the funny things about, uh, that I remember very distinctly about there, Remember I said there was two railroad tracks. Well, if you, if, you, if you were back there, you would know that the baseball field sat between two railroad tracks. And there were many times when K-State would be playing a baseball game, 
they had to actually stop the game because trains were on both tracks and the noise was so loud that you couldn't hear. So they had to stop the games many times when, uh, when, 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 when the trains were on the track. But the Douglas School was just was a, was the beginning of my education, really. And, you know, coming back to Manhattan, I never in my wildest dreams that I know I'd be coming back here to do what I'm doing today. And every day that I go to that center, I remember, because that school has kept its integrity pretty much, and it looks, it's exactly the way it was when the old bulletin boards, everything is still there. And once again, it goes back to, I think this is where my passion for history came from because I saw this when I got back and now we have preserved it. And of course this new facility that we're getting is gonna to help to even do that even more. So, so I'm excited about that. Uh, back then also we, we went to, uh, Manhattan had neighborhood schools. There was Douglas School, there's Woodrow Wilson, which is here today. Bluemont is still here today. Eugene Field is the head start. But those were the five schools, grade schools that were in Manhattan at that time. And everybody was able to go to their neighborhood school. And then after their neighborhood school, after the sixth grade, we went to what is now the middle school. Uh, they're at ninth and points, between ninth and tenth. Seventh and eighth, seventh, eighth and ninth grade, tenth, and the other building was high school. My class, 1961, that goes way, way, way back there, we were the first class that graduated from the existing high school that we have today. So I remember, you know, we didn't really have the problems that you would typically have in, that we've seen in other communities because we had our community and then when you got to the seventh grade, then everything kind of came together. And so we didn't have the problems in Manhattan that we've seen in other communities. And, and uh, of course, that's all gone now. Thing, things have changed and, 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 and that's all gone. The one thing that um, I've really been proud of is, is, like I said, the Douglas Center itself. Uh, let me get to that. It was a USO. It was built in uh, 1941. Uh, and it was built for, for black soldiers. Back then, they were called the colored soldiers. So I'll refer to today as African-American. But anyway, the Douglas Center was built for the colored soldiers. The community house downtown, which we just sold, that was the, that was a USO for white soldiers. And uh, if back in the day, before Fort Raleigh Boulevard and before the bypass, that what, K-18 by, by, bypass, before those days, um, the only way you got to Junction City from Manhattan is you had to go through Fort Raleigh. And so, but we had the community, the Douglas Center, and we had the community house downtown. And I remember so vividly that the buses would come from Fort Raleigh and they would be so loaded down with soldiers and the buses would stop at the Douglas Center and drop the black soldiers off and then come on downtown and, and leave the white soldiers at this building because there was nothing downtown really for, for, for us. And of course we had the Douglas Center and then that bus would come back by now, Yuma Street, the t talking about Yuma Street, how, how important it was, that was the only way to get from east side of town to the west side going out of town because it connected to Highway 18. And when, if you know where Stag Hill is, you go behind Briggs right now, you go to the cemetery, that was the way you went to Fort Raleigh before the existing 
uh, Fort Riley Boulevard that we have today. That was the only way you could get to Fort Riley. And um, well, I remember that bus would be so packed down with, with, uh, with soldiers and they'd unload in one place and then that bus would come back down Yuma Street, going back to the post. And so, but I remember those things so vividly. Um, but the center was built for, uh, the, the government allowed it $45,000 to build that building. And that was $20,000 more than the city actually had asked for. And uh, the only obligation for, for the city at that time was that building had to be built close to a school. And so that is the reason why Douglas School is at 901 Yuma Street and the Douglas Center is across the street at 900 Yuma. And uh, I did not know that until I did some history uh, instructing, but the government said it had to be built close to a school. And uh, so it was, and also the Douglas Center was the, it was a hub of the black community. If you wanted to know what was going on back then, that's where you went because everything happened there. And I remember the soldiers coming. They had dances every Friday and Saturday night. Um, my mother worked there. Uh, I mean, we, we grew up in the Douglas Center, and, and that was where all the activity happened for, for, the, for the black community back then. It was just, as I look back at it right now, it was, it was the place to be. And one of the things that I've been very, very proud about, I've seen that change as I've come back to this community. Uh, the black community that I grew up in, it's gone. It's, it's, it's gone. But I share this a lot. There are more African-American people in this community today than there was when I grew up. And, uh, but the difference is our people are all over town now. We live in different, all different parts of the town. The other thing is most of the people that, that were here back then are gone. And so the people that, that I'm talking about African-American people that are here today, they know no more about the history of Douglas Center than you do. And so that's why I think it's very important to, to, to talk about these things and let people know how it used to be so that it doesn't go away. And uh, so it's just been a wonderful thing for, for me to come back and be able to do what, what I've been able to, to add to, to help keep that. Um, the old Douglas School was, I think it was, it closed in 1962 after Brown versus uh, uh, the education. And, uh, versus government and it became the annex. It became, uh, it was just a building at that time and I think the city bought the building from the, uh, from the school in 1975, which is today, it's, it's kind of a maintenance building which is gonna go away, Mr. Douglas. Hopefully when we get our new building. Um, but like I said, the Douglas Center today is doing for this community what a recreation center is supposed to do for our community. Uh, we've got more things going on there now than, than the things that are going on now used to did not go on there uh, back at the time. And, uh, but we've been able to refurbish the facility with uh, community block grant money. It's a nice place to be. I enjoy going there each and every day. Uh, sometimes I think I'm there too much, but it's, it's a fun place to be now. Um, it's just made Manhattan a better community. And, and like the times have changed, we're not going back to where they used to be, but there's so much history there that we don't want to go away. And the other thing is, people that live here, you need to know about your whole community. Uh, that South Side, that part of town was referred to the South Side back in the day. And that was a part of town that 
most of you would not want to come to. It wasn't because it was bad, it was because we were there. And of course, that's all changed now. And, uh, and so Manhattan has really changed as a community as a, as for the better. And uh, the other thing I should mention about that, uh, the K-State athletes back in the day, they couldn't stay on campus. So they spent a lot of time in the black community. And the place they spent it at was the Douglas Center. I remember seeing all the athletes, uh, Bob Boozer, all those guys, the great players that played basketball and football at K-State. They spent a lot of time in the black community. Um, the basketball team has I've gotten to know Coach Weber very well, and they have done a good job of, of coming down to the center and the baseball team as well and being involved with the center. But back in the day, it was because that was the only place they had to come, and now they're doing it because it is the thing to do. And, uh, but it's been good for the center. It's been good for the community. And uh, like I said, Douglas Center is, is a very special place in this community. And uh, I hope for you that haven't been there recently, uh, Come down and check it out. You, you, you'll see that it's, it's a, a pretty neat place. I got a gentleman right here that just started doing his fitness, his fitness, coming to our fitness classes right there. And so, uh, but it's just a wonderful place to be. It's made a difference in this community and continues to. And, uh, but don't forget the history of what made it what it is today. And I hope I've shared some of those things with you. And uh, I know you're gonna have some questions, so I'll open it up this time for, for some questions about it, because I probably left something out, but, but I've given you the basic of how it used to be. Yes. Well, my dad was uh, one of the original founders of youth baseball in Manhattan, Kansas. And uh, Mr. Fisher, Lud Fisher, uh, Mr. Ballard, uh, my dad, um, and I can't remember who the ballpark is named after the Biscuit League ballpark. That one next, what's the one just? Wilson, Wilson Field, Mr. Wilson. All those gentlemen, back then, summer baseball was the thing to do. I mean, everybody played summer baseball. Um, and, and City Park, City Park, when I was a child, that was a place to be in the summertime. And, uh, but my dad was one of the founders, original founders of youth baseball here. And hardly a day or, or a week or a month goes by and I don't run into somebody who says, I played on your dad's baseball team. And, uh, but uh, he was instrumental in, in, in that starting the youth baseball here in, that, in this community. And, and um, I probably wouldn't have played baseball myself had it not been for my dad. I remember he was a catcher. Like I said, he called on that Negro baseball team that we had here. And I was a bad boy in uh, at Griffith Field. And uh, I just remember all those teams coming here to play. And uh, so, but he was instrumental in, in, uh, in youth baseball here in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, the old community house, our, our recreation department today uh, I don't remember when it really moved to City Park. I only remember when it was down at, in the community house. Mr. Annenberg, Annenberg Field, Annenberg Park, Frank Annenberg, that's who was named after, but he was director back then. And everything at that time was at the community house. That, that, was, that was where I remember Parks and Recreation, our, our first, before it moved to City Park. 
and so on. But uh, he was instrumental in, in starting youth baseball here. Well, one of the things I told Tammy, that I almost wasn't going to do this because cause I do not talk about myself, but um, I, did ha I did have a good baseball career uh, pretty much. Uh, when I was in high school, I was a pretty good player and um, played American Legion baseball. Now, you know, our American Legion baseball is gone today. I think it left here last year or the year before. American Legion baseball used to be the best baseball in, for youth in, 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 in the country, really. I mean, American Legion baseball was just huge back, back then. And um, Manhattan always had a great American Legion team. And the American Legion team was comprised of the best players in town. You played in the Cookie League, the Biscuit League, and then there was a Senior League, and, uh, and then there was American Legion. But the American Legion comprised of the best players in town. And we always, Manhattan always had a tremendous American Legion baseball team. Uh, I had a chance to sign with the Detroit Tigers out of high school. I'm 17 years old and I'm excited. I was a catcher on the American Legion team. We went to the state tournament. We did all those good old things. And so uh, I remember the, the gentleman came to the house and, and I was all excited. And uh, I don't remember how much money I was going to get, but my dad said no. He said, son, you need to go to school. And uh, I remember I cried. I was, I was very disappointed because I'm thinking I'm going to go play professional baseball. And, um, but I, he, did not, he, didn't, he would not sign for me because I was underage. And he said, go to school. Well, I went to school. And I can tell you right now that had, had I signed, I probably would not be standing here today. And he knew, he knew because he played baseball back in that era. And uh, black men were getting a lot of opportunities to make it to the, to the major leagues. I did have an older brother, uh, Jess, who did play with the, uh, played in the uh, Baltimore uh, organization, played two years, got to class B, class C ball, and boom, that was it. And so I know now as I look back, had I probably signed, you know, that would have been the end of my athletic career because once you sign professionally, you can't, can't go play in college anymore. So my dad knew something that I didn't know. And you know, we always think our parents, we're smarter than our dad, but not our parents. But, but uh, this is one of those times, as I look back, there's no question he was smarter than me. And so, uh, and then after, after that I did go on, I went to Coffinville Juco, played uh, basketball uh, two years there, played for Coach Hartman. I think most of you know who Jack Hartman was. We won the national championship uh, in Hutch, 32-0, didn't lose any games. We had five All-Americans on that team. I was not one of them. Uh, but I did play on that team and played a lot and, uh, because we won every game. So if you win every game, you know the scrubs are always going to get in. So I got in. But, uh, and after that, I, I came back to Manhattan, was basically going to not even go back to school anymore. And, and Bob Brazier, who was the baseball coach uh, after Ray Wathier, who had been the coach at K-State for many years, Bob saw me play in the summertime and uh, he told me if I finished junior college, uh, you know, he'd give me a scholarship. So I did go back, finish, and had the opportunity to play baseball at K-State in 1966. But what he didn't tell me was that was when you graduate from high school and you start the college and start your, your, uh, uh, your playing career, your clock starts ticking. Well, the NCAA says five years to get in four. And that's still the case to this day. 
And uh, so, so when I got to K-State in 1966, you know, and I'd, I'd gone to junior college in 60, 61, 62. That was my fifth year. And so he didn't tell me that till after the season was over. We had a pretty good season at K-State that year. But he did help me, help me uh, get on at Emporia. So I ended up transferring to Emporia State and um, played baseball there for two more years because Emporia was NAIA at that time. And NAIA says 10 semesters to, to get in five, and they don't care how long it takes. So I was able to play two more years of baseball at Emporia State, uh, got my master's degree, and had the opportunity to be the first African-American uh, graduate assistant in baseball at, at Emporia. Um, and the Kansas City Royals at that time was in 1969. They were, um, that was the first year for the Kansas City Royals. And uh, they only had a AAA club. They did not have a major league club at that time, just AAA. And they had promised, they had promised me over and over to sign, they were gonna sign me. And uh, I had two pretty good years at Emporia State playing, and, uh, but when it came time to sign me, they said, Dave, we need you just to come on to spring training. Well, I was in the middle of my master's degree at that time, and, and my coach was Larry Cochelle, and he said, Dave, he said, you, if I were, he, he, he suggested that I finish that master's degree, and then if they really want me, then go on down. Well, I finished the master's degree. They never did sign me, so that was pretty much the end of my baseball career as a, as a player. And then I went on and coached many years after that until, until I retired from coaching in 1995. So baseball did me well. Even though I didn't sign as professionally with, with the big league club, uh, it did me well. I did have the opportunity to sign with the Kansas City Monarchs. The Kansas City Monarchs were still barnstorming in the, in the mid-60s, and they came here to Manhattan to play uh, the Manhattan Lumbermen. And at that time, there was two teams. Uh, well, there was, a, there was a team in Junction and a team here in Manhattan. Well, all the college guys, we chose to play in Junction because, with the Blackhawks because they were serious about winning. We actually came in third in the state tournament, almost won the state tournament, beat some of the Wichita teams. But the team here in Manhattan was just a team having fun in the summertime. So the Monarchs came to Junction City on a Friday night, and we beat them really, really bad. I mean, we, we had a great night, and I had a great night. So they picked me up. They picked me up to play with them the next night against the Manhattan team at Griffith Field. And so I had the opportunity to catch Satchel Page for two innings. And uh, at that time, Satchel was was on his way back to the major leagues to get his pension so that I, I suppose he was probably in his 40s then. But, uh, but uh, you know, that was, I knew who he was, but not like we know who he is today. And uh, so, but that was kind of the end of the Negro Baseball uh, League. The Monarchs were the last team that actually was still barnstorming and uh, they kind of ended here in Kansas. And Kansas has a great history for for the Negro Baseball League because all those teams came to the Kansas towns and played. And Manhattan was one of them because we had that ballpark. And so uh, so baseball got me to where I am today. I could actually say that. Maybe not the way I thought I was going to get there, but, but it made a difference in my life and it all started with my father. Yes, ma'am.
Okay. Uh, right now, it's really funny you ask. I like that question. Um, I had a gentleman come from the K-State uh, Journalism Department interviewed me day for yesterday, and it'll be on mainstream, I guess, Friday, tomorrow, Friday, whatever they do. But there was a lot of people. He came yesterday about nine o'clock, nine nine thirty, and everybody was in there playing pickleball. We were pickleball. The courts were full, and he he heard he knew what pickleball was, but he never seen it. So he uh, we did a little interview, and um, so this morning when I got in this morning, he was back there again. He said he saw the people playing pickleball, so he came back this morning to interview the pickleball people. So typically every day from 8.30 to about noon, I have seniors there playing pickleball. And pickleball started at the Douglas Center about five years, six years ago. There was no pickleball in Manhattan, Kansas. I learned to play pickleball 30 years ago. We were, we were playing it and, uh, because, but today it's the fastest growing sport for, for seniors in America. And uh, it's big here now, but it started at the Douglas Center about six years ago. And of course we got the two courts now at uh, City Hall. And uh, they've got a couple courts up at uh, the rec center too, but but the seniors they like playing at the other center. We open the day at three. We open every, daily at three o'clock from three to seven Monday through Thursday, and then on on Fridays it's, it's uh, three to seven, and then on Saturdays it's twelve to four. Now we know that these hours are going to change once we get to get our new building. Um, and by the way, we're going to maintain the other center that we have today. The M the uh, building across the street, which is the index, and of course the new building. So we're going to have a, what we would call a, a recreation complex. Basically, these are things that you see, you would see in one building uh, if you were to build it. But since we don't have that, I mean, this will be the same. And uh, we'll be able to do a lot more things that a full-fledged recreation center does. Uh, and, and adding that, the Douglas Center will be a viable part of that. We do have fitness classes from 5.30 to 7.30 right now. And uh, so we're open for, when the kids, this afternoon there'll be kids in there at three o'clock. When school's out from three to five, they'll be there and then they'll be back at 7.30 till we close. And uh, the one thing that I'm most proud of, I know that I would not be standing here today had there not been a Douglas Center. And we're doing that for kids today because right now I don't, I know for a fact, there's no place else a kid can just walk in off the street in a safe environment and play basketball, you know, in the dead of winter and have a good time. I mean, that, that's what recreation is. And, and we can, we're still doing that. And that's what I grew up in. And so we've been able to preserve that. And, uh, and we'll still be able to do that once we get the new facility. So, yes, ma'am. Well, um, yes. In my own, in my own words, <laughs> uh, I know this. I was talking with Wyatt. Wyatt and I had this conversation last week. We were looking. We had a construction meeting two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and uh, and I was in Wyatt's office and I asked Wyatt. I said, "Why? When? When did this first? When did this first start?" And he was starting looking through the records. And we actually started talking about adding this facility six years ago. Six years ago. That's a long time. And, um, and in my heart, I just knew that it was imperative for this community to have, this, to have that facility. 
Um, and, I'll, and I'll speak to that here about for something that I experienced in Muskogee, Oklahoma. But um, that's where it started. And of course, we were going to do the HUD money. And the HUD, it was $3.2 I think, with the HUD money. And, you know, it's really been a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you, because the HUD money was only going to allow us to do so much. And what it was going to allow us to do was not going to be, uh, in my mind, sufficient for, for our community. Um, if you're going to build something, build it right. Do it right. And don't just build it just to build it. And so we were only had X number of dollars at that point. And what, we went through a year with him on that, trying to make that work, and it didn't work. And so, and we weren't included in that original money uh, for the Susan B. Anthony and Eisenhower. If we had been, it wouldn't have been no, been no question. So now uh, the sales tax did not pass. We were gonna be in that, I think, to, to help fund it. And uh, that didn't pass, so at that point, now it's up to the city commission to do it. And so uh, I think they saw the need, the importance of doing it since they'd already committed to doing it. And uh, so once December the 17th is when they made, I remember these days, was, was the, the final vote was December the 17th. It was four to one that they voted uh, to do it. And I think it's probably one of the best decisions that our city commission has, has made. Um, it's for the community. And one of the things I think is so important, now I worked for Parks and Rec in Muskogee, Oklahoma for 16 years. I was a superintendent of recreation there. And I saw a lot of things, good things happen because there was nothing there when I first started and I know what was there when I left. And um, we did the same thing. We had an old armory that was, they did not have a recreation center. And they had this armory that, uh, if you know anything about armories that were built by WPA back in the day, kind of like uh, Griffith Field and, and some of the other buildings. But this army was a, uh, had two, was for two infantries. The ones that were built for two infantry had a garage on this side and a garage on this side. And in the middle, there was a big big stage, gym and stage. And, and we had this big armory. And uh, it was primarily used for storage and all kinds of things. And we gutted that thing, cleaned it out, because they did not have a community, a recreation community center. And I just know what it did for that community once they had that facility. And I think the same thing is going to happen here in Manhattan. We're, we're short on gyms. That's been, been the thing we've talked about since I've been back here, short on gyms. And I'm going to tell you, this community is going to realize how much they have been missing by not doing this long before now because it was a need, it's needed. And uh, you have to have indoor facilities if you're in, in a place that has a climate that we, in the wintertime it's gonna be cold. So you, you gotta have some place to do something inside. And so now that we're getting these new facilities, it's gonna change this community in a way that no one could ever imagine. And the only way I know that is because I experienced it. But, but still today, people don't know how much a difference it's gonna make when we add these new facilities to, to our community because uh, our community is growing. It's not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. And so you've gotta have places for people. And recreation is for the community. Recreation is affordable, recreation is affordable. The places that, uh, you know, Eugenesis and all the other fitness places that, that are going, those are fine, but there has to be affordable recreation for the community. 
and uh, because everybody cannot afford those places. And so, uh, and recreation is, the things we do in recreation is for the community as a whole. And uh, I just think those things are vital that the community can continue to grow. In Muskogee, we had, and when I say this, Muskogee is not nearly as affluent as Manhattan, Kansas, I can tell you that. But our, the things we had for recreation were just unbelievable. We had uh, 16 soccer fields, we had uh, two lighter football fields. I mean, but we had the land to do it. But man, it was amazing what it did for the community when we had those nice facilities. It, it just just changes you, you know. So, yes. Uh, yes, sir. I think the most important thing for anyone uh, is to get involved where you live. And I, and I think today, well, when I grew up here, uh, everybody knew everybody. But that's because we were a smaller community. And, uh, and as a result of that, you know, everybody knew everybody and, and everybody knew what was going on. Today, Manhattan is a, is a much bigger town than it was when I grew up here. I know a lot of people, but I don't know everybody. And so as a result of that, I think we've, I won't say grown apart, but, but we don't know people like we used to know people. What, what brings people together? There's two things in my mind that bring people together. Fun, fun. And what is recreation? Fun. Uh, music, food. Those are things that bring people together. And you have to have a place to do them and uh, we kind of do, but, and, but we need more. And the more things you do that bring people together, the more people are gonna be together. Um, when I think, and I use this analogy, I use Walmeagle, and I don't live in Walmeagle, but I do, Walmeagle has the fireworks. I do know they have uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz, and they got the tulip thing. They got things that bring people together. And uh, I'm not saying that we don't have them, but we need more of them. And um, so I really believe, I don't believe I know, these new facilities is gonna change this community in a way that none of you could ever, if you didn't come from a place like that. Um, and I only know because I went away and came back and I see what we, what we need. And, uh, and I say this all the time, Manhattan Parks and Rec, we are good. We are really good at what we do. We're excellent at what we do but we're behind communities that have a little bit more to do it with, and, and we're getting there. And that's, that's, so what can we do? Get involved, get involved, and, and, uh, and you get involved because you want to, not because someone makes you do it. It's gotta be something in your heart, something you care about, and if you do that, uh, that's the way it works. Um, I saw it happen in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and I will, and I'm sure this, and I'll close here. But Muskogee, if you lived here, I lived in Oklahoma for 28 years. And the only reason, one of the big reasons I came back to Manhattan, because that wasn't where I wanted to be when I retired. I have a lot of friends there. It's not a bad place. It's it's, it's not a bad place. 
But if I had to make a choice between Muskogee, Oklahoma, and Manhattan, there's no, <laughs> it's not even a question. And the reason why that is because things are still like the, a lot of things there are still like they were back in the past. And uh, so when you retire or get older, you want to be in a place where you're safe and where you're happy. And happiness has a lot to do with your daily life. If you're not happy, you got problems. And so uh, Manhattan, Kansas is, there's a lot of positive things here. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's not the perfect place in the world, but it beats most. And uh, that was the one reason why I came back. And uh, I'm glad I made that decision. Yes. Okay, uh, Donnie was a couple years older than me. Uh, grew up with Donnie. Uh, his his younger brothers were, were my age. He lived right there on the corner of uh, Yuma, and um, Donnie had a passion for this community. He had a passion for Juneteenth. He was kind of we call him the grandfather of Juneteenth. Um, but he he was one of those people that he just wanted things to be better for everybody, not only black people, but just everybody, because he was in and everywhere. And uh, I mean, he was in City Hall, he was up at K-State, I mean, he was always going somewhere talking, to, you know, but he was about the community. And uh, of course he passed away in 2015, and uh, he'd been the, pretty much the, the director, ramrod of Juneteenth for, Juneteenth last year was 30 years old. And uh, I talked about things that brings people together, uh, and he moved it to, to, to the city park in 2011, the year that I came to work here. I didn't know that, I mean, I just came to work. And of course, the director of Douglas Center at that time had always worked with it. So, you know, I just kind of fell in and did what I could to help. And uh, when we first moved it to city park, I mean, it, it was still kind of like on a shoestring because all we were able to do was use the, the stage. And so, but Donnie was one of those people who wanted things better for others. And, um, he passed away in 2015, and of course we've continued to, you know, to do the Juneteenth and a lot in his honor. And because, but but that event is one of those events that I'm talking about that brings people together. And uh, I say this all the time: uh, there are more African American people in this town than than there's ever been, but they all don't live town where Juneteenth used to be, and we're all over the place. So that's made that event. Um, much better, and it was because Donnie moved it. And uh, I mean, so there are some people, there, there are very few African-American people still living today from this community that could share with you the things that I shared with you today. And I can only go back to my childhood. And so Donnie was older than me. And uh, so there is a gentleman, I just talked to him last week, last Thursday, uh, I spoke to the senior AARP. I felt bad, I'm an AARP. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and there's a gentleman that lives at 10, 10 Yuma. Um, that's in the next block west of the Douglas Center. His name is Mr. Graves. And Mr. Graves is 100 years old. He still drives to the senior citizen every day and has lunch and uh, he scares me. I see him, he's, he's got his, <laughs> hey. He's got a special route. He goes down the alley behind the Douglas Center, 
and he and I know where he goes, but the, but he's a hundred years old, and he can he can now I don't he doesn't know as much about Manhattan probably because he came here. I think he was military, but uh, there are not very many African Americans left here that could talk about like it once was. And I can only go back to to my time. I mean, uh, so that's this just been a passion. I don't know why this become a passion of mine, but I don't want it to go away. And I just know that this new facility, combined with what we have, is going to help help solidify that when we're gone. And uh, because one other question, uh, where was the library prior to where it is today? The library, right? If you know, don't answer. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. But the library today is on Seventh and Seventh and Points. Where was it prior to that? Hmm? How did you know that? You're right. And that library is really funny. What made me think think about this? That library. I don't know. I haven't been in there, but my mom. We had to go to the library every Saturday morning when I was a kid. And there's a there was a lady there named Miss Brooks, and that's where I learned to read. And uh, I like to ask that question: When did you learn to read? A lot of people don't know. I had to think about it. I really had to think hard about when I actually could read something and, and know what I read. But we used to have to go to the library every Saturday morning, and there's this little lady. Her, lady, her name was Miss Brooks, and uh, but that was a, that was our library here in town before the one that we have now. And uh, but we don't have a lot. A lot of our buildings that we used to have here are gone. And if you did not know the history, you know you would not you you would not know. But uh, yeah, the Carnegie Building, which is just west of the courthouse, used to be the library before the. You work at the library now. You used to, so well, they say that wasn't fair. So, <laughs> so, but we have a, we have a lot of things that City Park. I, I talk about City Park all the time. I remember City Park. There was a time when there were so many trees in City Park, on both sides of the park. You actually had to go in the park. Right now, we can look from points to is it Fremont? We can look straight through the park now and see everything. But back in the day, no, there were so many trees in that park. It was just, it was just beautiful. It was, I mean, the weather, the, over the years, the trees had died and different things have made it go away. But, but back in the day, City Park, if you, if you want to know how much our town has changed, City Park was the middle of town when I was a youngster. It was the middle of town. 17th Street, you were going out of town. Of course, now, what is it, Scenic Drive? Yeah. Scenic, scenic Drive. Seco Park, but when I was a youngster here, City Park was the center of Manhattan, Kansas. So that's how much things have changed, and uh, and I'm going to say for the better, uh, because we've grown. But as we've gotten bigger, I think the bigger you get, the you're not as close knit as we were when when you're small, and so. Uh, but uh, we haven't got that big yet. But anyway. I hope I shared some things with you that that are interesting and and uh, but I owe my supervisor and and the, and the uh, HR person because I was not. I'm very reluctant to talk about me. You don't do that, and uh, but the history of this community I think is important. So uh, I was happy to do it, and, and um, uh, like I said, I'm 
it's just a fun place to be and I hope you all will, will see the changes that are going to be made here very shortly because they're going to be positive for this community. Thank you.